Alright, so our scripture for this week um, is going to be, um, I don't want to go with the typical um, uh, scripture which is from Acts 2 which describes Pentecost Sunday. I preached on that last year um, and I felt the Lord wanted me to go somewhere else this year. So we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Numbers. Numbers, that's the fourth book um, in the Bible, right towards the beginning. We're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11. Uh, verses 16 to 30. All right, good chunk of scripture here, but it's, it's good to read the word together. Grab your Bibles, um, and we're going to be looking at Numbers chapter 11, verses 16 to 30. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me 70 of Israel's elders, who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Make them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you, were, when you wailed, if only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it just for one day or two days or five, ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because you've rejected the Lord who is among you and have wailed before him saying, why did we ever leave Egypt? But Moses said, here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? You will now see whether or not what I say will come true for you. So Moses went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and made them stand around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took of the spirit that was on him and put the spirit on the seventy elders. When the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not do so again. However, two men, whose names were Eldad and Medad, had re remained in the camp. They were listed among the elders, but did not go to the tent. Yet the spirits also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. A young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Joshua, son of Nun, who had been Moses' assistant since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. But Moses replied, Are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. This is the word of the Lord. So, what is going on in that scripture that we just read? It's a, it's a pretty amazing piece of scripture. And I want to begin by giving you some context, alright? You, you'll hear me say this a lot and you'll never stop hearing me say, uh, hear me not saying this, but we have to uh, look at things in context, okay? Very, very important when you're reading scripture um, to look at the context of the story. So, Here's what's going on, okay? This, it's been just over a year, maybe a year and a few months, since the Israelites 
have been freed from their enslavement under the Egyptians, under Pharaoh. Um, and <clears throat> so uh, the Lord has freed them miraculously, right? He's delivered them from uh, Egyptian slavery. He brought them through the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea for them. It's been truly a miraculous work of God. And so now that they're on the move, traveling through uh, the Sinai Desert, to find the land that God has promised them, all right? God has promised the Israelites a land that they can call their own, a land of, of milk and honey, as it's so-called, okay? And so they've been about just over a year in the desert, walking through the wilderness under Moses' leadership, um, looking for the, the promised land. And what's going on here? Well, it is wine o'clock. That's right, wine o'clock. And I'm not talking about a nice glass of red. I'm talking about W-H-I-N-E o'clock. It's wine o'clock. That's right. The Israelites are up to one of their favorite pastimes, which is whining and complaining. That's actually probably a favorite pastime of quite a few of us. But the Israelites were really good at this. And the deal is they are sick of the manna that God is providing for them to eat every day. It's this, uh, this thing that God is blessing with called manna. And they, they're, they're sick of eating it. You know, they're like, hey, you know we have Man of breakfast burrito, man of salad for lunch, man of burger with man of fries, sick of manna. You know, they start complaining because they want some meat. They want some meat. And that's because secretly the Israelites are really Texans. No, that part's not true. But they're sick of the same old food and they want some meat. Now, so far, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't, that doesn't sound so unreasonable, right? You know, I mean... You know, what's wrong with wanting a little bit of meat in your diet? Well, here's the problem. The problem is that they start saying that they had wished they'd never left Egypt. They start saying, you know what, we were better off in Egypt. And in fact, earlier in that chapter of Numbers 11 that we just read, listen to what it says in verses 4 and 5. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. All the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions and garlic. But now we've lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. So they're sick to death of this manna. And they're saying, we want meat. And they start reminiscing as if, you know, being captive and slaves in Egypt all of a sudden wasn't so bad. Wasn't such a bad thing after all. It's like, the, you know, the Israelites are saying they wish they'd never left Egypt. And really what they're doing here, here's where the offense is. They're thumbing their nose at God. They're thumbing their nose at God and they're questioning his goodness. Question in his goodness, and essentially they're saying, you know what, God, thanks, thanks for nothing. We don't trust you. We don't think, you know, why did you bring us out of here to die and eat manna? And that's that's the offense. It's actually it's failing to recognize and give thanks for all the good God has done in their lives. And that right there, that's the first lesson I want us to take away from the scripture this morning. It's this: you know, your life may not be perfect. Who has a perfect life? None of us. And in fact, you may well have some really tough issues and things that you are struggling with right now in your life. I know some of you do. But we can always reflect on and give thanks to the good things that God is doing and has done in your life. You know, there's always a place for that. And trust me, if you get in the mindset of being thankful rather than complaining and whining, trust me, you will notice a change in your life. If you start focusing on how God has blessed you, rather than how you wish this was different, or you wish you had that, or this wasn't the case. Trust me, your life and your outlook, your whole demeanor will start to change. 
You know, there's always things we can we can be thankful and, uh, and grateful for. You know, just let me give you a small uh, small example. For example, if you are watching this morning or you're listening this morning, guess what? That means you are blessed in ways that so many people across the world are not. Because you know what it means? It means you have some kind of device that has access to the internet. It means you have electricity. You probably have a roof over your head. You're probably watching from a room somewhere that, that is uh, ventilated or is warm or has AC. It means you have money to pay for internet access. And it means that you are actually wealthier than two-thirds of the world just by that very fact. So there's always reasons um, we can count our blessings, even in the midst of our struggles. But all too often, it's it's easy to doubt God, isn't it? Start complaining, what you know, and ask, what have you done for me lately? And when we start doubting God's goodness, when we doubt God's plans for us, what tends to happen? We become skeptical. We start getting skeptical and cynical. And skepticism, cynicism, they're actually one of the roots of bitterness. There are many roots to bitterness. Unforgiveness is one of the biggest. But skepticism, if we're not careful, can lead to bitterness. I'm not talking about being naive. We want to be wise. Okay, but skepticism and cynicism, once they go too far, start leading to bitterness. And what happens is with that skepticism is we start questioning God's power. And his goodness. Is God really good? And we start wondering, is he really able to do what God is, only God is supposed to be able to do? And really what we're doing is we're getting back to the oldest trick in the book. The oldest trick in the book, which was that question that the serpent asked Eve in the, in the garden. Did God really say? It all stems back to that. Right? Everything comes from that place. Of like, Did God really say? It's the oldest trick in the book. Don't fall for it. But you know, this is exactly what Moses does in this situation. Although he's a great man of faith, Moses is frustrated. He's frustrated and he starts doubting God and his word, his promise. And he says, he says to, Moses says to God, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month. You know, he's rather thinking, great, how on earth is that going to happen? And we have to remember something here. It says 600,000 men on foot. That's not counting the women and children. And by most estimates, scholars think if you factor in women and children, now you're looking at between about two and two and a half million people. <laughs> and God has said, yeah, I'm going to provide meat for them for a month in the desert. And Moses just must be thinking, oh, God, what are you doing? This, if this doesn't work, it's, it falls on me. It's my head that's going to roll. And he goes on to, he says, would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? I mean, <laughs> Moses, he's got some serious moxie the way he's, he's talking to God here. It shows the, the real intimacy and the depth of his relationship with God. But he's saying this because what God is promising seems impossible. Meet every day for two and a half million people in the desert. God's, God's answer to Moses, it's, it's, it's so powerful it's in its simplicity and its brevity. In Numbers 11, chapter 20, uh, verse 23, he says this, the Lord says, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. God's saying, <laughs> you need to wait and see. Because you're going to see my power. Wait and see what I'm going to do. And what does that phrase, what is, uh, is the Lord's arm too short mean? What does that mean? We, we see this phrase about, um, about three times in Scripture. And 
basically what it means is God using his arm, so to speak, because it, it, it's a figurative term here, it's a symbol of God's unlimited power to reach into the affairs and the world of humanity, to reach into our lives. God's saying, you don't think my arm is long enough to reach you? God's saying, there are no limits to my power. And here is our second lesson. When you're feeling discouraged, perhaps you're feeling discouraged right now and fearful with everything you're reading and seeing in the news. When you're feeling deflated or hopeless, remember, we have a God who reaches down from eternity to be intimately involved in our lives. That's how much he cares about you and I. He's not this distant God who's kind of, you know, you just get on with your life and do whatever you want. No, he's like, I want to know everything about your day. I want to know the little things, the big things, the things that upset you, the things that brought you joy. Tell me everything because I am your loving father. And he's so loving that he reached down from eternity and sent his one and only son. He gave us the most precious gift he could to do what we could not, which was live a sinless life, go to the cross for us and defeat sin and death so that now the doors are opened for salvation and eternal life. That's the kind of God we have who reaches down from eternity. Is the Lord's arm too short? <laughs> are you kidding? And here's the thing, when you, when you cling to that truth, when you realize that of course the Lord's arm is not too short, trust me, you will start experiencing God's power in your life. He's intimately involved in our lives. And just like God was intimately involved in, is intimately involved in our lives, he was intimately involved in Moses' life too. God knows Moses is frazzled. He knows he's frustrated. And God knows that Moses cannot do all this on his own. So that's why he tells Moses, he said, gather 70 elders. These would have been leaders of the community, leaders of different tribes and factions in the Israelite uh, community. And um, he says, gather these 70 people together. And something to notice here, very, very important detail, that although Moses is skeptical of God's promise, he is still obedient. Although he's skeptical, he's still obedient. And that, folks, that is what separates great men and women of God from average men and women of God. The great ones, they're obedient even when they don't fully understand. Even when they have doubts, they follow God anyway. We're told in verse 25, amazing verse. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke with him, and he took some of the power of the Spirit that was on him and put it on the 70 elders. When the Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. <laughs> so folks, what we've got going on right there is some serious Holy Spirit power going on right there. And, and do you see the parallel with Pentecost? What happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit blew through that room of about 120 believers, the flames descended upon them and the Holy Spirit came upon those, uh, those people. But there's a difference, there's a huge difference between what we just read in Numbers right now and what happened on Pentecost. The difference here is that here in Numbers it was a one-time deal. It was a one-time deal. These 70 elders had a special anointing from the Holy Spirit for that moment, in that moment that was needed. And what does it mean when it says they prophesied? Okay, this is it's a very, uh, sometimes a very hard thing to define in the scripture because we hear it a lot. They prophesied. The power of the Lord came upon people. And when it, when, when it does, when the Holy Spirit comes upon people, especially in the Old Testament, we're told a lot they prophesied. 
Now, when we think of prophecy, we tend to think of uh, making a prediction about the future. Um, but that's not what it can always mean in, in Scripture. Um, the Hebrew Old Testament typical words for prophet and prophesying are Nabi and Naba. And the root meaning of those words means to flow forth. To flow forth. So, as these 70 elders were full of the Holy Spirit, there was probably a frenzied outpouring of prayer and speech and probably some unknown tongues. It probably would have freaked a lot of us out today, actually, if we'd witnessed it. Okay, But there was a flowing forth of the Lord's Spirit coming out of people's mouths and their prayers. And there's no question that, that God's power was at work. And not only in the tent of meeting, but also uh, two elders who didn't make it to the meeting. Perhaps they didn't get the memo or they, they missed the text, the group text or whatever. But even these two who didn't make it to the tent, they're still in the camp and they begin prophesying as well. And so what, what this is, all by God's design, is, is the community, the, the Israelites would have seen this. And they would have been able to see that God's authority was on these elders. And at the end there, Joshua uh, is Moses' protege, Moses' apprentice. He would uh, take over the lead after Moses died. He's freaked out by what he's seen because he's wondering what's going on. He's wondering, is this the seeds of rebellion here? Are they going to overthrow Moses' leadership? And he tells them, Moses, Lord, stop them. And then Moses' reply in verse 29 is so, is so important. Moses replies, he says, are you jealous for my sake? And then listen to this, Moses, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, and listen to this, and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. This is the verse I've been wanting to get to here, folks, because this is where the historical events from close to three and a half thousand years ago that we just read, this is where these events come full circle. Moses said, I wish the Lord would put his spirit on all his people. But what happened on Pentecost? That very thing. The Holy Spirit came upon, remember, there was about 120 people. And at that point, that was the church. Those were the only believers. And the Holy Spirit came upon all these people. And not only did the Holy Spirit come upon these believers temporarily. No, there's a, here's where the big difference is. This wasn't a temporary uh, thing. This time, the big difference was that the Holy Spirit indwelt the believers. Indwelt, made his home in those believers. And the amazing news is that if you are a believer, aka you are somebody who's put your faith in Jesus Christ, then you're one of God's people. And so you have the Holy Spirit living in you. You have the one true God living in you. Think, think about that. Don't Look, you've got to think about it. Don't be just like... Oh. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I've got the Holy Spirit. No, you have the Spirit of the living God, the creator of everything, the, the universe, the cosmos, the stars, the, the galaxies. You have the Spirit of the living God living in you. And if you really take that to heart, that should totally blow your mind and it should transform your life. Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. Jesus says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. 1 Corinthians 
3 verse 16, Paul says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Pentecost is so significant because it sees Moses get his wish. His wish comes true. When, when the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not I will say, will say will come true. Is it possible that not only was the Lord talking about the 70 elders in the immediate situation, but that the Lord was also talking about a promise that was yet to be fulfilled thousands of years later? It's what Moses wished for, and it was a promise that Jesus would make, and a promise that was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. So, so what does that mean for you and I? What does that mean for those of us who are watching this morning? Well, like I said, if you recognize Christ as the Lord of your life, and have put your faith in him, then you also have the Holy Spirit in you. And I know, I know for many of us, it might, you might feel that doesn't, you know, feel the case sometimes. You know, you might be thinking, well, if you only knew what came out of my mouth yesterday. Um, yeah, we're imperfect vessels. And we're still sinful and we still make wrong choices every day that uh, are not uh, according to God's will. But you have to remember that in Christ, that has been covered and paid for by Jesus Christ. And so what this means is that we literally have... The God-given capacity, not in of ourselves, but through God's gifts, we have the God-given capacity and are called to produce good fruit in our lives. What is good fruit? The fruits of the Spirit. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Do you notice how lacking those fruits are today in the world. Do you notice how lacking those fruits are in the world today? As we look around at the horrific events of just this week, with the awful death of George Lloyd, and the, the protesting and the rioting and the looting around the country, where's the fruit of the Spirit there? If you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you, then you will naturally fill the void with something else. We have to remember that. If you're not a believer and the Holy Spirit's not in you, there's a, there's a void there. And if it's not filled with God, it will be filled with something else. And without God in our lives and the Holy Spirit living in us, we will naturally produce our own kind of fruit. That's what happens. We still produce fruit, but it's a fruit that's rotten to the core. It's, it's a fruit of the world, per se, or fruit of the flesh versus fruit of the Spirit. And it's a sick parody and inversion of the fruits of the spirit so instead of love joy peace forbearance kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control the fruit of the world is hate anger chaos impatience selfishness evil faithlessness callousness and unrestraint and if you look around at the world we're in today if you look around at this country is that not what we have all around us because there is, we're, we're missing the fruits of the Spirit. And I know it's, it's easy to become really discouraged and uh, depressed or disheartened by this. But look, folks, this should neither surprise nor discourage us. Remember what Jesus said. Jesus said, the world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it neither sees him nor knows him. And so the question I want to challenge all of us with today is this.
How will the world see or know him if we do not show the world through our own lives? We are called to be the church. We are called to be the ones that display the fruits of the Spirit. We have to be the ones to show and display the fruits of the Spirit in our own lives. That means we have to stop reacting with anger and impatience and selfishness and unrestraint and instead show the world what it is to love, to be kind, to be gentle, to be patient, to have peace, to have joy in your life despite the storms. If we don't show the world, the world will never know. And so folks, as we celebrate Pentecost today, the gift of the Holy Spirit, take joy in the fact that you have the living God in you. That we have the seeds that produce the fruit of the Spirit. And never in any time in history has it been more important for the world to see what it looks like to be the people of the Holy Spirit. It's time to show the world what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit.